Welcome back to our fifth episode of the podcast series "Going Dutch in Hong Kong." I'm your host Shermin Lee. This week, we have a relaxing chat with famous motor car race driver Ho Ping Tong. Ho Ping made a name worldwide after winning one of the oldest motor car races, 24 Hours of Le Mans, in 2017. And as the first driver with a Chinese license in the IndyCar series, Hopin has now snatched victory in multiple races. If you look him up on social media, you'll also come across a video of him driving a Range Rover car up a set of very steep stairs to the top of Tianmen Mountain. He has taken on and surpassed challenges after challenges with grace. Hoping told me he had to navigate through a life-changing difficulty in his career, but before we go into that, let's look at how the gifted driver discovered his talent in teenage years and decided to follow his heart. Hello to everyone who's listening. My name is Hoping Tang, and、uh, I'm a Dutch-born Chinese.、Uh, I was born in、uh, in the Netherlands. In a relatively small village near Arnhem, in the east part of、uh, of the Netherlands, as a third generation, I think, if I say correctly.、Um, so、um, my grandparents and my parents、uh, both immigrated from China to the Netherlands.、Mm-hmm. However, I'm the first generation born there,、um, and、uh, yeah. So growing up, small village in the east part of Holland. So、uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. I feel myself both being Dutch and Chinese at the same time. Mm, how was your hometown? Can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah. Um, everyone who's who's ever been to the Netherlands or Holland, as some of you might refer to, will know that area as、um, very green.、Mm. Um, I've, I always say one of the things I really appreciate about that that region is the national park, the Hoge、mm. Veluwe, which is a true national park. Um, um, parts of it still.、Um, Turning back to the ice age, even, <laughs> and、uh, wow. so yeah, it's. I I really like to、uh, to work out. Maybe I should add.、Um, my profession is I'm actually a professional racing driver,、mm. so I'm very fond of sports, of course. And、uh, to grow up in that area there,、uh, with surrounded by so many you know green and forest, and、uh, it was a great place to work out. Uh, <laughs> uh, famous as well, called、uh, is, a, is a is a cycling area and is a、oh, uh, nice. postbank. Many people know the postbank. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a relatively small village, Velp itself. I think it has around twenty you thousand know, residents or so. And、uh, interestingly enough, when we grew up,、um, my parents were very traditional Chinese、uh, immigrants, so they had、mm. um, a Chinese restaurant. And if I remember correctly, I think we were probably me, my brother, and of course my parents. We were probably what, maybe the only Asian, if、mm. not yeah,、uh, maybe one other couple. Um, with fit family in in Velp, but that's that's about it. So、wow. it gives you a bit of an idea、um, of the environment that that I grew up in. But、um, I think it was also very special in a way because、uh, it also shaped me to the person that I am today.、Mm. How is it like、um, you know growing up in a Chinese household in the Netherlands?、Um, I think one of the things I was very fortunate about is that my parents、um, were really. Let's say open-minded and very eager to adapt to the local culture.、Mm. Um, so also for me and my brother,、uh, 
Um, we both uh, use Dutch as our mother tongue, as our prime language. Uh, unfortunately, is that because our Mandarin is not that good, that good <laughs> as a result. <laughs> but um, uh, so I think uh, thanks to that, we were able to integrate really well in the uh, in the culture and then the in our environment and blend in with basically everyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I have to say that I also really um, appreciate and have to uh, thank a lot to uh, our Dutch parents, as I call them, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, my parents being very busy, always working. Um, we were always being looked after by a Dutch couple ah, who were uh, previous neighbors at the time. So yeah. uh, also partly thanks to them. Um, yeah, I got to enjoy a, a lot of the Dutch culture. Um, I was very sporty, as I pointed out. And I um, I am still very sporty, I have to say. But uh, <laughs> in my childhood, um, I did a lot of things. I, I loved swimming. Mm. Um, and typical Dutch, I even did ice skating, speed skating. <laughs> uh, in some day, I think... At the age, I need to think back properly, the age of 10, mm. I was the vice champion of the East District, so yeah. which was uh, uh, Gelderland and Overijssel, um, of the speed skating championships. That's amazing. Um, so I, I know that at 14, you started uh, disco kart races. So how, how did it happen? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So actually, you know, what you quite often see in uh, car racing and motorsports mm. is that drivers start uh, because they are father or some mm-hmm. relative or family friend um, has a background in motorsports. Uh, for me, that was not the case at all. Um, so even though I had a, have always had a big interest in, let's say, cars and speed since mm. since my early childhood, I, ne- I never really got really in touch with go-karts or whatsoever. Um, and that I think that was one of the reasons why I only started at the age of 14, mm. um, which for you know any type of sport, I suppose, is relatively late. And especially in, in car racing, if you look at nowadays, um, of course, we are very blessed in the Netherlands with uh, the current Formula One world champion, Max Verstappen. Mm. Uh, he himself started at the age of three. Oh, wow. So that, that gives you an idea about you know how late I perhaps started my, my, my racing career. Um, but it's funny enough, I just mentioned Max Verstappen. Uh, I think I really start. I've always been fond of car racing and Formula One, but I actually really started following the sport mm. because of Max's dad, Jos Verstappen, in 1994 when oh. he came to Formula One with the Benetton Formula One team at that time. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I was 12 years old at the time. So, uh, not even, yeah, turning 12. So, yeah, it really, I think that kind of accelerated to stay in the same wording, my uh, my interest in uh, in the sport. You you went from go kart racing to uh, professional races later. How did you discover your passion for that? I think funny funny enough, when I started, hmm. I was very aware about the fact that I started late, if not too late. So I didn't really have the illusion, if I may say like this, to make a career out of this because I always hmm. thought you know um, others have started at the age seven eight which was more common at that time mm. um so i'm already so far let's say behind apart from i didn't really think about it that much because i was really truly enjoying that i was able to do what what i love to do and mm. um uh, which was you know driving go kart driving fast and every <laughs> we i remember well we we will always go in the in the early the first two years mm. every um uh, every saturday afternoon we would go and practice in a small track uh, nearby where we lived, about a 40-minute drive. Um, and it was only until the second year of my, of mm-hmm. my go-kart, basically, not even the second, but 
one and a half years after I won my first club championship there and it was kind of time to move on to the next stage and then um, just via via I came to um, to a team which is was run at that time and still is I have to say by um, Peter de Bruyne very Dutch name who's one of the uh, he's a former world champion go-kart himself mm. and um, has one of the best um, teams when it came to go-kart in the world at that time and also still running internationally at this moment and yeah I was almost living with them for two years I have mm. to say and uh, I think that's another very fortunate thing I've experienced in my life that um, I was so well adopted by them mm. um, every I, remember fondly every Saturday morning my mom would drop me off at the train station uh, to take the 8.20 a.m. flight uh, uh, train sorry to uh, mm. to Rotterdam then transfer to the train to Vlaardingen Oost and I would arrive at 9.54 uh, take my two bags one with racing gear the other mm. with like small bag to stay overnight and I would, I would basically work all Saturday to prepare my own equipment mm. to get ready and then stay overnight in the workshop and then on the Sunday uh, morning we would go to a track to practice mm in the evening take everything again and take the train back back home and then from monday to friday back to school again uh, oh, i was wow. visiting school uh in um near next to velp very small um village as well called rosendal <clears throat> and uh, where i went to the Redens and uh finished my uh after i finished actually my vo there i um I did go to university very briefly <clears throat> but uh, yeah at some stage i just had to make a choice whether i wanted to pursue a professional racing career um, or just like, like a career like like through university, basically. <laughs> so how, d- how did you make the decision at the time? I think it was a very well constantly thought of decision, um, but it basically came because the opportunity came, uh, funny enough, because of my Chinese background. Mm. Um, a number of, uh, two years, a year before that, I actually, uh, because of my go-kart performances, mm. Uh, I was selected in a, a, a talent scout program, which is called Knaf Talent First, as, uh, organized by the Dutch uh, Car Racing Federation, mm. uh, the Knaf, and uh, in which they selected the 10 bar- best go-kart drivers of Holland, um, mm. which competed against each other head-to-head to, you know, who would be the biggest talent who that would receive their support. Um, I eventually won that first edition and went on to race for a full season, uh, became rookie champion that year, um, then can, kind of found myself, I would say difficulties, but struggling mm. to find necessary funding to mm. continue. Um, as you might know, car racing is very heavily dependent on sponsorship, commercial funding. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically then I decided to just you know, follow the regular path that I actually took a break from. So go back mm. to university. So I went to university in Rotterdam. And uh, it was during that year that uh, it was announced that China would host its very first Formula One Grand Prix. Mm. Um, a year and a half, almost two years after it was announced, so mm. 2004. And then all of a sudden there came the opportunity for me, because of my Chinese background, to take part in a racing new, newly set up racing series by BMW uh, in Asia. Um, so yeah, at that moment I had to basically make a decision because I had to move to Asia for this, mm. whether I want to you know, just continue at university or take that chance uh. and move to Asia. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because now, I, now I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Sure. Um, I still remember very fondly that at that time I had a, a conversation with the mentor mm-hmm. of, the, of the program I was participating in at Erasmus University. 
Um, so I was doing a double a, a double uh, master program called the Master Doctor Honors program, which basically you graduate as a um, master in law and economics, so double degree. And um, yeah, I, I spoke with him, and I, I remember very fondly him saying that, you know, it's uh, it's such a unique chance. I think you should, you know, it's up to you, of course, but to take it, you yeah. should just try to take it, and you will always be welcome to come back. Here. So it's it's really amazing, and yeah, I remember Doctor Doctor Fisher, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and funny enough, so fast forward, I said a couple of years, so two years ago, mm. um, I decided to, one of my personal ambitions was always uh, to do uh, a school, uh, mm-hmm. some kind of degree, because I felt that's something for me personally. Uh, that is missing in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to enroll on an executive MBA program here in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's a combined program between Kellogg and Hong Kong University in Science and Technology, HKUST. Mm-hmm. Um, but for that, I had I needed a reference letter because, of course, lacking a bachelor degree undergrad, um, I need to get a dispensation from from the university. So I thought, well, how can I get some you know some more rec- recommendation references? So actually, I, I wrote to Dr. Visser from Erasmus University. Mm. And this I would never forget. It was really, I found truly amazing and inspiring that um, literally within a day, he replied me and mm. got all my grades from their system, oh, wow. including recommendation letter, including statistically uh, in terms of relative to other students mm. um, in the Netherlands, uh, where I would I w- where I was standing and that mm. they would recommend me to, you know, take part in this course. So mm. I was really... In this program. So, yeah, it, I really thought it was very special. I know that you, you said you started late, but I know that your performances uh, cannot be achieved by so many people. So it's really amazing. Yeah, I've had a very um, colorful career, let's say, in car mm-hmm. racing. Um, and uh, I think as every youngster, you start in go-karts. And then mm-hmm. um, once you have the ambition to become a racing driver, everyone always wants to go to Formula One. Mm-hmm. And so did I, of course. So I've really climbed through the ranks. I won that BMW Championship, Formula mm. BMW Asia, uh, and as a prize, which was a surprise, it was not a pre-awarded prize, but as a, it was a pure surprise. I was uh, uh, gifted a test with the BMW Williams Formula One team at that time, mm. and um, yeah, it was of course it was a unique experience. You can imagine from being in university to about well, year and a half after mm-hmm. driving a Formula One car for the first time in my life. That was like incredible course and i um, can imagine yeah Exciting. And so yeah and then i basically just climbed up through the ranks won mm. uh, german formula 3 championship went to formula 2 some people who are familiar with car racing might remember a1 gp i raced there as well uh, but funny enough there i raced for team china because mm. actually since quite early um especially of course when i started racing here in asia uh i raced under a chinese racing license mm. and um so yeah, uh, I raced for Team China A1GP and then um, became a third driver for Renault F1 team in 2010, 2011. But unfortunately, I mean, this is also part of the sport. I had a very, actually very stupid, not really big accident, but a very unfortunate accident in which I broke one of my vertebras. Oh no. Yeah, and this was in 2010. And as I always like to phrase it in car racing, is such a fast moving sport, obviously. Mm. If you stand still yeah it's like running backwards <laughs> so i mean at that time i knew i had to kind of like regroup myself and we rec- just see what are what i could you know 
uh, Formula One. I, at that moment, let's say I knew Formula One would be the dream would be over. Let's say because I I, I knew that I would probably not get a uh, chance there. Was it your biggest challenge in your career? Yeah, of course. Mm. I mean, when you have an accident and, and you get injured, mm. um, it's not about the thing that you get hurt for yourself. Almost mm. as a driver, we're almost just thinking about the time that we're losing that we can't move forward. Mm. And ease, and that's not just for racing; it's any professional sports. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you just want to go out there and get going again and that of course you, you cannot and so you know you're starting to lag behind compared to your competitors so mm-hmm. it's a very it's a not just challenging it's a defining moment in your career because you need mm-hmm. to rethink how you can regroup yourself and you know what the next step is going to be and for me in my case uh, perhaps it's been a blessing mm-hmm. in a way because uh, I've probably celebrated my greatest my biggest sporting successes after that in endurance racing mm, indeed yeah. how, how did you um try to overcome it at the time you know typical dutch just put your head down and get get down to work <laughs> just ongoing the mm. things i did i meant actually decided to almost take a few steps back mm. to go revert back to more regional racing regional championships of course formula one is a truly global uh racing series uh, to do more regional racing to try to rebuild my career in a way mm. um so I think that's also one of the things perhaps I was able to do that, you know, just don't put myself, you know, think, don't think bad about having to do a few steps back actually to make more steps forward. And, mm. and that, that worked out well. And I really decided at that time to focus mm. on so-called endurance racing, long mm. distance races. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, with, with success, I think we, I met my uh, current uh, business partner there as well, David. And together with David, we uh, started uh, our own, let's say, racing team together. Initially mm. com- uh, combined with other teams and later on under our own uh, banner, Jackie Chan DC Racing. Mm. And uh, with the team, we celebrated great successes. We, uh, we won the Asian Le Mans series several times in different classes. And I think, of course, our highlight was in 2017 when we won the 24-hour of Le Mans, mm. which is the largest endurance race in the world. Uh, and not only did we won our class, LMP2, which is a prototype racing car, um, we also almost won the race overall. Um, and you have to imagine, that's um, it's really like David versus Goliath in this way. Um, we, are, we were a relatively small team with mm. relatively small resources, and we are, we've suddenly during the night part of the race because it's 24-hour non-stop racing yeah. from, from Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. until Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. Um, we found ourselves in the overall lead of the race in mm. front of all the big car brands like Porsche, Toyota. Uh, they were behind us because they mm. actually were running into trouble with their cars at that time. I mean, in the end, it is a grueling endurance like race where it's the ultimate test for both human and machine. And it's it's very common to have technical gremlins but yeah we managed to really escape all of that we were just suddenly finding ourselves in the lead of the race and we were overtaken by the porsche uh just be about two hours before the end of the race mm. but still managed to finish second overall and this is something that in the entire history of the 24 hour of le mans which at that time i think was the 85th edition of the mm. race had never ever happened before wow. and to date of course has never happened so, um, yeah, I think that was a very proud moment. And we went on to win several more races for the World Championship and finished as vice world champions, uh, first runner-up, the runner-ups, uh, I have to say. And, um, yeah, finished second two years after and then mm. uh, retired from the lead during my last full season in 2020. Um, 
Then, of course, COVID hit. Um, being based in Hong Kong, travel mm. was not very easy for us here mm. in Hong Kong, as many might know. Uh, so uh, I decided to take kind of a break and the team as well. Uh, we are a team that is China-based in terms of management, mm. um, but our technic- technical team sits in the UK. So it required a lot of travel, mm-hmm. which made things, of course, very complicated for us. Uh, so we've decided to take a break, but we've actually announced that we're going to come back next year, mm. uh, but not in a in the world, not in the FIA World Endurance Championship, the World Championship, but we're going to do a US-based championship, mm. uh, which hopefully will make things a little bit easier if we always can travel between two two countries, basically. Mm. Well, I look forward to that. describe like how you won and like how you fell at the time when you knew yeah of course mm. i mean this was when we came in the championship mm. it was all, only our first full year under our own name mm. as our own outfit and you have to imagine um this is a the, the, there for for those who are not that familiar with car racing uh, there are a few official FIA, so the governing body, world, um, sanctioned world championships. So mm. probably the most well-known is Formula One. Most people will know F1. Um, and then you, of course, you have the off-road version, which is mm. WRC, World Rally Championship. Um, and you have endurance version, which is the one that we're doing, World Endurance Championship. Mm. Nowadays, you also have Formula E, which is electric car racing, uh, which we've had here in, in Hong Kong as well for a number of years. Um, so when we came to the world championship, um, we immediately made a big impression. We went on to win the first race. Mm. So we we went to Le Mans with quite high expectations for ourselves. And I actually put a lot of expectation on it for myself as well. I remember saying to to even to media when they were asking me what, what I was what I was thinking about the race, I remember saying that if we will not finish on the podium, I'll be disappointed. Mm. And to give you a bit of idea, I had been racing in Le Mans since 2013. Mm. And it is a... F- at that time, so uh, it was my fifth participation. Seven, this good. Thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, fifth. One. <laughs> um, mm. It is a it is a not an easy race because uh, we, I, I retired imagine. a few times. We've had some technical gremlins on a number of occasions. Mm. Um, but I think at, until that date, my best finish was maybe seven, six or seven, I think. Mm. So it was a big step up for all of us. But uh, yeah, I mean, in the end. We looked quite strong from the beginning that weekend and um, we looked uh, reliable. And that, of course, is always important, this combination. And mm. we, I think in the first hour or so of the race, mm. we managed to move ourselves in the lead of our class and we actually never left there. So we always were first or second throughout the entire 24 hour of the race. So, which is, um, yeah, it was a very... Very, very enjoyable memory. Still, if I think back about it now, and I think just the whole feeling, you know, it's um, it's like you're, you're spending so much time with your team at that time. Uh, you mm-hmm. have to imagine we are about 40, 40 to 45 within our team mm-hmm. to run the both cars. Uh, Le Mans, it's actually a little bit more. We were looking at about 50. Um, but you're really living as a family together at the circuit. You do everything together. You from breakfast until the evening, uh, we even sleep in a little compound at the track itself mm-hmm. uh, with the three drivers. So each ri- each car has three drivers. Uh, we share one cabin. <laughs> so it's like a mini holiday <laughs> in which you go racing. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's it's so really, nice. uh, it's, it's very, it's, it's such a enjoyable time. And mm. 
yeah, I would not say I, I miss about racing as well because mm. I haven't really raced much in the last year and a half because of COVID. Mm, of course. Um, uh, not not even a year, yeah, just slightly over a year. Um, but yeah, having this family feeling uh, with your with your team is is something. Of course, those, you see those people a lot. Sometimes I'm joking. You see them almost more than my normal family because <laughs> in 2019, when yeah. things were still full on, I did exactly 100 flights that year. So you mm. can imagine uh, it was always racing itself is a sport which is very interesting and not many people are aware of that. Um, it's one of the sports where we are actually not allowed to physically practice. Mm, so we exactly. cannot just take a car and go to a circuit and drive around. That's not allowed by regulation. And the reason for that is they want to try to create a level playing field. But as a result, we um, we do what actually many people do also at home nowadays is to play video games. Oh, of yeah. Course, you, you said the yeah, simulator. simulator. Yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. the ones that we use uh, are more advanced, much mm. bigger and more advanced. And we actually don't use it just to uh, enjoy, uh, but we use it really as a training tool. Mm. So we not only develop our driving skills by analyzing data, but we can also actually use that data to try to improve the car performance. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and I've did that for our own team. Of course, I'm still doing that. And then uh, I've done that a number of years um, for Jaguar, the car brand. Because mm -hmm. uh, I worked with Jaguars from 2016 when they announced the return to car racing uh, in the Formula E championship, the electric cars. So I did the um, testing and development for those cars which uh, comprised of a lot of this, you know, aforementioned simulator work. How did you feel when you win it? And, and what does car racing mean to you personally? Of course, winning Le Mans, I think, is something that I can quite confidently say is a dream for every racing driver. So that, of course, was, you know, in terms of sporting performance, the proudest moment of my life. And uh, some people maybe can able can Google it even. Uh, we always joke, the Le Mans selfie. So if you're <laughs> on the podium, you have to yeah. imagine you're standing on the podium, which is quite high raised up mm -hmm. and then you're looking over the entire pit lane and it's full of people it's incredible thousands and thousands of people so it's mm -hmm. one big mass of you it's like almost like a those images you see from a concert sometimes mm, wow and then uh, yeah so it's 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 a truly amazing sight when you're actually on there and uh mm. yeah that that's something that will be you know part of my memory forever so it's really for her very special your tips for like aspiring you know race car drivers to be honest the best way to start racing was and still is in go-karts mm. of course nowadays we're blessed to have many more tools to mm -hmm. have our availability such as simulators uh, and to be very frankly as a child that's what i did as well i played a lot of video games mm. a lot of video games <laughs> i'm not saying you can really learn from playing video games but you do learn a lot what i always say about simulator and video game racing mm. is that you're almost developing another sense because when you're driving a car you feel the car moving underneath you and you feel the movement and the g-forces mm. of the car that pushes you into your seat or pushing your sideways when you make a corner mm -mm. Um, but of course you don't have this when you're you know driving on a tv screen with your video game yeah so any movement of the car you almost need to experience visually Mm. so you're almost developing another sense so when you then get back into a real racing car or go-kart things get actually easier because mm, you're used to like you're used to sense. you have yeah mm. you uh, you have basically developed that extra sense for yourself and mm. so that's definitely a very important tool that everyone 
needs to use nowadays. And um, you can see that. I mean, most of the Formula One drivers nowadays, I mean, Max Verstappen, Lando mm-hmm. Norris, they all play simulator racing in their spare time. So you think about mm-hmm. it, those guys are racing 21 Formula One races a year. And when they're finally a weekend off at home, they're they still driving. They're, they're still mm-hmm. driving, but not only to train, but also for fun. So mm-hmm. it just gives you gives you an idea. But I think, yeah, go-karts is, is definitely a step you always have to take as mm-hmm. a youngster to get into racing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's quite, you know what? It's actually very interesting that uh, I mentioned earlier the Knaf Talent First program, the talent scout program that I won. Um, the circle is, very, is completely round now because I'm actually sitting on the board of that uh, program now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are con- constantly and continuously looking for Talents. talents mm. that we can support and that we can offer our, you know our experience as well and my personal experience in order to you know find that next uh, driver who can succeed uh, Max Verstappen in F1 perhaps first Chinese driver with a Chinese license in IndyCar series and like many more races. So how did you feel being the first person with a Chinese license? Uh, very frankly, I think, of course, as a driver, I don't, I didn't really care too much about it because mm. when you're in the car, you're just competing with everyone else as, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, mm-hmm. where you're from, what your background is. Um, but of course, I do think that it, it was very double-sided perhaps mm. because I think that at some occasions, people would think that I was just there for the sole reason of because of my Chinese background. Um, but at the same time, I think my performance has always proven that was not the case. So mm. I remember that it's very interesting that when I was actually racing for um, the Knaf Talent First program, mm. uh, I was driving very typical Dutch orange car. <laughs> and I was internationally referred to as that Chinese guy in the orange car. <laughs> so it gives you a bit of an idea. So, but it's quite funny. And uh, mm. yeah, of course, I mean, it's it looks nice in history books. But mm. uh, uh, of course, for myself personally, uh, I'm a very competitive person. And mm. I really, truly value uh, sporting performances that I've delivered, such as winning Le Mans, such as winning, you know, I think, I don't even know, five, six championships, mm. um, countless number of races. And yeah. The last race that I did, which was Bahrain in 2020, it's, mm. it feels a long time ago now, but uh, uh, we also won and also end up on the overall podium. So it's, it was a, uh, those are also good memories. Mm, I can imagine. And so I know that this year, Zhou Guanyu became the first F1 full-time driver with a Chinese license. So how do you feel about that? And also, why do you think there are so few Asian representation in, you know, the F1 track? Um, First of all, about Joe, uh, I've known Joe for quite a long time, of course. Mm. And uh, this, is, this is interesting because I also worked closely with the Chinese Federation, mm. CAMF, to, uh, to help the development of car racing and go-karting in China as well. And I've followed Joe through the ranks. He actually moved to Europe at a very young age, mm. to the UK and Italy, to do go-karts, to do racing. And uh, oh, so cool. he's very well let's say Brett in the European driving style and, ah, okay. uh, and yeah so I knew he's I think he's had a few very good races this year in mm. Formula One so far 
um, which to some of people came perhaps surprising, mm. but not to me because I knew that um, his background will probably help him to get more familiar with the cars that are mm. currently in F1, which are slightly, well, not slightly, actually significantly different from previous years. When it comes to general drivers, Asian drivers in the sport, I think you always have to look back at you know culture, perhaps in a way as well. Mm. Um, I think at the very beginning of our chat, this is something that I referred to as well. My parents had no background in motor racing at all, and they seem very supportive, though. Like I mean, yeah. you said your mom drove you to the yeah, train yeah, station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate so cool. for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Europe, there's a you know, there's just more facilities, more culture. People are more familiar with car racing. Um, although I have to say that you you do see it more. In this region as well now there's no outdoor go-kart track for let's say professional international racing yeah um whereas for example in europe there there are many uh, just in the netherlands there are already three if i if i say correctly so just give you an idea it's it's, it's mm-hmm. all about facilities it's about culture it's about familiarity with the sport mm. i do still see that the sport is growing significantly mm. in this region so uh, I would not be surprised to see more Asian faces in international stage in the, in the next. I would not say two, three, not few years. It will take a, it take a while because to go from go karts to to F one, and we, that is of course which gets most media attention and where people will see. Mm. Uh, that will take a number of years, but we will see it. I'm sure. Uh, on top of races, I also um, came across this amazing YouTube video of yours, you know, driving um, up to um, Tianmen Mountain. Yes. So I think it, it was so I, when I watched it, I felt like my adrenaline level was so high. I was like, I'm so nervous. What would happen? So how did you decide to take up this challenge? And h- how did you feel, um, you know, uh, in the process? Yeah, this is a very you're referring to Dragon Challenge. Yes. Yeah. Early 2017. Mm. Um, I was in my second year, or actually my first running year of being part of the Jaguar uh, Formula E team. And I was called to the Proving Grounds mm-hmm. in uh, Coventry in the UK uh, for a special project, as they call it. So uh, when I arrived there, um, they told me like, oh, you know, uh, for the launch of the new Range Rover Sport mm-hmm. plug-in hybrid, we are planning to do a driving challenge and we would like you to be part of it. Are you open to that? I said, yeah, of course. Um, so Range Rover, uh, Land Rover is, and, and Jaguar uh, have, are both owned by Tata Group, so the same owner. Mm-hmm. And um, so they ex- then at that time, they basically exposed me what the idea was. They said, well, do you, are you familiar with uh, Tianmen Mountain in China? I said, yeah. Said, yeah, I've heard about it. I've never been, but I heard about it. Mm. And do you know, the st- you know the stairs there? I said, yeah. So we're thinking to drive up. Tianmen Mountain and mm. actually also drive up the 999 steps. Yeah, it looks so steep. And then my initial response like, uh, is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> and there, and there's, uh, there's, they said, well, actually, we don't know. <laughs> but it's something we would like to explore yeah. with you, whether we are able, to, we would be able to do it. Mm. I said, okay. So, yeah, basically from the first day, they've, the project team there has been in close touch with the, uh, mm. the site managers and uh, of, of the park of Tianmen Mountain. And uh, to see whether it would be possible to do this, of course, in a safe way and not harming any of the environment there. Mm. And then uh, we ourselves at the Proving Grounds in the UK did kind of like mock-ups of the space. But of course, you can't build the stairs. Mm. So we just built like uh, a 35 step, but in the same angle. So we're talking about a 45 degree at the most, at the steepest part mm. uh, angle of the uh, of the stairs. So it was extremely steep. 
but yeah so until we actually i have to I have to I have to add here as well that one of the main reasons why they wanted to do this is they wanted to show of course the capability of the car mm-hmm. but not just a car they wanted to show the capability of a regular production car so if you would go to a dealership in your own town Mm-mm. buy a car it's basically the identical car as what i did the stunt with oh wow so it actually was quite unsure until the last moment where we would, whether we would be able to do the stunt mm. uh, the drive because uh the car had was a, the development of the car was slightly delayed so it was only until very last minute that they launched the car as mm. the in, in the final production version was then shipped over to china and um yeah i think I came from the race at Fuji Speedway for the World Endurance Championship and then went to China to to, to do the drive. And uh, yeah, I think up until today, that's probably one of the most exciting things I've ever done in my life. Of course, bar racing itself. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely such an adrenaline rush to, to do this. And again, until we actually did the final drive, we did practice a little bit, you know, the first mm-hmm. part of the steps just to try to see what speed we had to get, you know, how, how, how much acceleration we were able to achieve. Um, but to do the full drive all in one go, yeah, we had not attempted until that, mm. you know, Thursday morning. I remember it was a Thursday morning. <laughs> and how did you feel at the time? Were you um, also nervous? Because I, when I watched it, I was really nervous. So I, I can't imagine how you felt in the car. Yeah, the I mean, of course yeah. we're nervous because it's not just nervous whether I was going to make it or not. Mm. I think as a, driver it's the same thing as when you're in a racing team mm. and i funny enough i do believe it's the same thing as when you're in a in a big business uh, commercial like business environment is that mm. uh, there's a big team around you that are there to you know to work together with you to achieve mm. a goal and of course in this case it was uh, to achieve this this drive up to the top of the stairs yeah and um so i not didn't just feel the pressure of being able to make it physically with the car but also so many people on site to make this happen that you as a team you just want to succeed and you want to make it work so yeah I'm very, I was very relieved and glad that we did been very successful um so can i know how your dutch upbringing sort of led to um your success right now i think one of the dutch upbringing things in general people will, will be familiar with especially the dutch that are listening is to being as many people will say dutch are very down to earth i mm. guess and they will not really necessarily complain they'll just get on and do get stuff done and uh, i think that's something that i've also learned in my early childhood when i went into go-karts mm. um i remember f- when i actually was in the go-kart team i was probably the only one that yeah you have to imagine even a young age go-karts already very professional mm. uh, but i didn't have a mechanic for example i did everything myself so not just the the, the, the standard stuff like cleaning whatsoever but even like mounting the engine and doing the adjustments to improve the handling of the go-kart and these kind of things checking the tire pressures changing the tires just you name it um and actually i really never thought about it and i it was only perhaps until later on during my career i realized that you know perhaps that was part of dutch upbringing in a way that people just like why don't you just do it yourself Mm. and actually by you know letting me do it myself or almost forcing me to do things myself just by getting things done yourself you 
you learn so much, right? And mm. um, I think another thing that maybe Dutch upbringing, uh, nowadays I believe everyone is very well-traveled and international. Mm. Uh, of course, maybe two, two and a half decades back, there was perhaps not as much the case, but for me, yeah, I never really thought about it and always just went on and going. Perhaps that's also Dutch feet. I think Dutch traditionally, historically are very, uh, how do you say, well-traveled. Well-traveled, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing that people de- definitely say about Dutch is that they're very direct. Mm. And of course, that is something that helps in car racing as well. Mm. Although, so? you have to, although you have to build a bond with your team, mm-hmm. um, which which I always do and which we all always do because like I said you you really work in a family Mm. when you're actually driving and then when you come into the pit lane to make an adjustment to your car you have to react very quickly because the time is limited Mm. Um, so you need to be very direct about your feedback direct about the feeling that you have Mm. and don't you know try to make things better or try to go around stuff, just tell exactly how it is, what it is. Mm. And not during the session only, but also afterwards, because it just allows you to move forward quicker. And um, in car racing, of course, like any sports or big commercial business, there are many politics, but being direct, uh, I do think has helped me as well in a way that just getting things done more efficiently. Mm. Anyway, of course, it also sometimes works in your disadvantage, but I think generally uh, that helps because... In a global stage, there are a lot of very successful Dutch drivers. And uh, do, do you feel like the culture um, in Hong Kong is different when you moved, like compared to uh, the Dutch culture that you were used to? Uh, yeah, of course. The culture is very different. I think mm. many things in life are different when you live in Hong Kong. Um, and just I think the pace of life perhaps is also different. Even though before I moved to Hong Kong, I lived in Amsterdam. Mm. Um uh, Hong Kong, of course, is a different level again of being a, <laughs> a global metropole, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the pace of life, uh, the, the, the way people live. I mean, mm. here, uh, just to give you, I mean, it's just a standard example, idea perhaps that in Hong Kong, I think almost everyone tends to go out for lunch and dinner mm, every day, right? That is right? true. That is true. Even for breakfast, perhaps. Um, yeah. In the Netherlands, we, we don't really do that, right? Mm-hmm. We do go out, but it's more if you go more on perhaps, I wouldn't say special occasion, but just definitely not every day for breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> um, yeah. And this is actually some of the things I do enjoy personally as well. That's oh. maybe my dad said that when, when I'm back in Holland, I just, you know, like to go to the supermarket yeah. and cook and eat at home. Um, and yeah, I, I know you said you uh, feel like you are both like equally Dutch and equally Chinese. And so um, what are some similarities you found in these two cultures? I always say I praise myself fortunate. I have like one leg in the Netherlands, one leg in China or mm. in this continent. So um, I I'm, I'm feel myself to be a perfect bridge between the two different countries, between mm. two different cultures. And uh, when it comes to similarities, I do think that you know, both are very exploring, very mm. entrepreneurial. Um, of course, there's a difference in terms of the way that people work and the way people put this uh, into this exploring and entrepreneurial spirit. But I think eventually, in the end, it's, it's the same thing. And there's a reason why you see Dutch all over the world. Mm. And there's also a reason why you see Chinese all over the world. I grew up in the Netherlands um, as one of the only Asian not just Chinese, Asian, in, in, in the village where I grew up. So um, entrepreneurial spirit, just going out, exploring, uh, trying to create opportunities for yourself. And I think that's very a very Dutch thing as well. It's a historic 
thing from the Netherlands as well, where um, people would sail out and try to you know discover new places. One of the good feats about growing up in the Netherlands as well mm. is that the Dutch are very multilingual. Mm. So um, this is something I also try to really inspire to my children mm. as well. So even though I'm the only Dutch speaking in our household, I still try to you know teach them Dutch and address them in <laughs> Dutch. And they actually do understand, funny enough. And this is such a big help to do business internationally, to travel around, to create opportunities for yourself. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I do believe that's that's something very valuable that uh, that mm. we have in the Netherlands. Thanks a lot for sharing your tales of successes and challenges with us, Hopin. Hey, listeners, what do you think about Hopin's story? Leave a comment on the Facebook page of Dutch Consulate Hong Kong. In the next episode, you will hear the tale of Hester Chan, the curator of collection at Amplus Museum of Hong Kong. Stay tuned for the next episode. This series is brought to you by the Dutch Consulate General in Hong Kong and produced by Hong Kong-based podcast production team, Sustainable Asia.